Well, guys, good morning. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July, and I hope you're ready for this today. In fact, turn to the person next to you, look them right in the eyes, and tell them, get ready for this. I need you to be awake and be ready with me today, because the topic today, uh, and what I want to speak on on this 4th of July weekend this year, is what do you do when life begins to feel overwhelming? You know, when the difficulties and challenges of life begin to pile up and, and, and you just feel like, you know, I, I want to throw my hands up and quit. I can't do this anymore. What do you do? What's your natural reaction? What's my natural reaction uh, when life begins to feel overwhelming? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I, I've never really felt overwhelmed. And you're, you're probably two or three years old, you know. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, life, life can be challenging. It can be difficult. In fact, the way Jesus says it, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, it rains on the just and the unjust. So what is he saying there? He's saying, life can be challenging, and there's going to be difficulties for, for good people and for bad people. It's not like life is just difficult for bad people, and, and it's not like life is just difficult for, uh, for good people. He goes, this, it's just life. If you're alive, you're going to go through some very difficult circumstances. And, and, and I wish I could say that everything's always going to be easy, but... But no, really, there's, there's going to be some difficult circumstances that we face in life. You know, I, I wonder, what do we do when we get to that point, when those circumstances have built up so much where you just, you do want to throw your hands up and be like, I just can't take it anymore. I give up. You know, I look around this room and I see a lot of very faithful people. You know, a, lot, a lot of people have gone through difficult times and you, you've wanted to give up. I mean, first of all, this is 4th of July weekend. You could be anywhere. You could be in the mountains. You could be on the lake. But, but you're here today. There's, there's faithfulness manifested in, in God's people in this room. And, and with that, we, we see that there are times that people in this room have gone through some really difficult circumstances, difficult stuff, and you stuck it out. I don't know about you, but have you noticed the older you get, the, the sexier faithfulness becomes? You know, I, I've told this before. I tell this to young women when they're looking for a spouse. I tell them, girls, don't marry sexy Steve. Marry steady Eddie, right? Because steady Eddie's going to become more and more sexy as time goes on. In fact, sexy Steve, you look at him, you, you love how his tight skin stretches across his eight-pack abs. But, but the truth is, sexy Steve is going to start to sag, and Steady Eddie is still going to be there when you start to sag. So, so women, marry Steady Eddie. And I don't say that because I haven't had an eight-pack in 15 years. That's not why I bring it up, you know. But, but faithfulness is sexy. In fact, it, it can be difficult to stay faithful when life becomes overwhelming. We're, we're tempted to just give in, throw, throw, give up, throw in the towel. Today I want to look at a story, um, Joshua chapter 3, it's a beautiful story, it says this, and I'm, I'm going to go back and cover uh, a lot of the backstory. but in Joshua chapter 3 it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you of about 2,000 cubits in length. That's, that's a little over half a mile. It's 0.56 of a mile. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. 
I love that last statement because I think that's where we get confused so many times when we find ourselves in a place where you have not passed this way before. You ever found yourself in a situation, I haven't been here. I don't know anyone else who has been here. I don't know what to do in this circumstance. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, I know that all this will be is a talk unless your Holy Spirit shows up in this room. So God, humbly, we come before you right now, and in Jesus' name, we we invite your Holy Spirit to come into this room, and I pray that you would meet us right where we are. God, we need you right where we are. I pray for the people in this room that are overwhelmed by circumstances, overwhelmed by difficulties. I pray for people in this room facing uh, hopelessness right now, God, struggling. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to this room, you'd renew hope to us, and that, God, you'd help us to see you, see you more today, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess it was about a year after Emily and I got married. Uh, we were young and very broke, and we had a car, and it was like a 1980 Cadillac Cimarron. Was that about the year, 1980? It was 88. Okay, well, it still was ugly either way. <laughs> 1988 Cadillac Cimarron. I remember our friends would make fun of us for it, but we thought this thing was cool because it was a Cadillac. So, I mean, it had leather seats. It was plush. You could uh, Electric windows. It even had a cassette player, man. So we were, like, pumped about this thing. And, and I remember we were driving it one day, and, and something started to happen where we'd drive it and be going down the road at like 50 miles an hour, and the, and the car would just shut off. And, and it didn't just happen once or twice. It started happening so common, like five times a day. It would shut off. We'd get to the side of the road. We, we'd put it in neutral, and I'd have to, like, hit the gas and, and, and slam it while I'm, uh, while I'm putting it, uh, while I'm starting the car. And then I'd slam it into gear, and it'd go again, and I'd run for a couple miles, and then the engine would shut off again. We had no idea what was wrong with it, but it was just crazy, and it was weird. And we finally got it checked out, and we realized it was going to cost more to get this car fixed than what it was even worth to us. And now we were broke. Broke, broke, broke. I mean, young married couple. So I remember the day when, when I finally called up a friend of mine who had an extra car, and, and I said, man, is there a way you could work something out where we could borrow your car for a little while or whatever? And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll just sell it to you. He had a little tiny Toyota Corolla, and he said, I'll sell it to you. Um, he goes, can you make me an offer? And I went ahead and offered him what we had in savings, and I knew we were ripping him off. We were getting such a good deal. But, uh, but he goes, just... Give me that, we'll, we'll work it out. So I gave everything I had in savings to get another car so my wife could drive her car and, and I wouldn't be worried about her getting stuck on the side of the road somewhere. And I was so pumped, we took the car home, I put her in the car, I'm like, thank God, we're so happy we got this car. She goes off to drive to work and I get in the Cadillac Cimarron to de- bring it down to a car uh, store so we could sell it and just get rid of it. I didn't want to deal with the thing anymore. And, and I, it breaks down, I'm on the side of the road, I'm trying to get it started again in my phone starts ringing. Well, I broke down on the side of the road on the way to take my car to get it traded back in. My wife calls me up. She goes, Dan, don't sell the car. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? She goes, I'm broke down on the side of the road. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. I'm like, babe, it's going to be fine. It's okay. And I hung up the phone and then I had one of those moments where it was just me and the car alone and I began banging on the wheel like, ah! It was all just building up on me so much. I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, I'm trying to fix one problem. I got one car that's breaking down. I got another car that's breaking down. I can't even go and get my wife because the car I'm in is broken down. And it's like, it's just overwhelming, right? But isn't that just a picture of life? I mean, isn't that just what happens sometimes? I mean, you, you're just going through life and difficult things happen. 
And those difficult things, they can pile up and they can become more and more and more overwhelming. I remember just saying, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what to do. And I was just, I was freaking out. I was screaming in this car because I was just so overwhelmed. Well, what is that? Why? Well, it's just life. You're driving down the road and you get a flat tire and you think, well, I need to change my tire, and you realize you don't have a spare, and then you realize, well, I wouldn't even know what to do if I did have a spare, and then you're like, oh, like, it's just life, right? We go through difficult times, but here's, here's the truth as we get into this. You know, a broken down car, or getting a flat tire, or a speeding ticket, those things don't even compare to life's real challenges. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to pray with a mom who who both of her grown kids are battling cancer. You know, I, every week we talk to someone who, who's going through some real stuff, and you say, you know, if we're going to pass the microphone around, I, I would say there's some stuff going on in this room. There's some difficult things that happen in this room, and, and, and you know, life can be overwhelming. I wish I could tell you. I, I wish I could stand here and say that since you're coming to Fellowship Church and since you're following Jesus, life's going to get better. You know, everything's going to always be perfect, and you're never going to have a difficult situation again. In fact, at work, you're only going to get bonuses and awesome corner offices. If you're in school, you're only going to get A's, but, but I can't stand here and tell you that because that's not even what Jesus says. Jesus says, listen, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's saying, you've got to understand, there's going to be difficulties that you face in life. That's, that's just part of of being alive. And in fact, for many people, when you decide to follow Jesus, it's not that, that life's not going to just get perfect, but in fact, for some people, life gets more difficult. There's certain challenges that come with that. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, not in the Old Testament, if you look in Acts, you'll see that there was a man by the name of Stephen, and he loved Jesus. Now, since he was following Jesus, people hated him for it, and they stoned him. They killed him because he loved Jesus. He said, I want to do things right. I want to follow God. He started doing it, and he got killed over it. Seeing in my own life, as, as Amelie got saved as a young woman, the, she came from a family where uh, her family didn't believe in God, and they didn't like the fact that she started coming to church, really didn't like the fact when she gave her life over to Jesus. In fact, they started making fun of her, ridiculing her, and there are still to this day family members that will not talk to her anymore. What do you do when it's like you're trying to do everything right, but but life's challenges seem to pile up and you get buried under layer and layer and layer of challenges and difficulties. I love this story in Joshua chapter 3 because it's a beautiful story, but I got to tell you, it's a very frustrating story. If you've read this story before, you'll recognize that this is a group of people that what they're trying to do is follow God. So I, I want to follow God, I want, to, I want to go where he wants me to go. I want to receive his protection, his blessing. So in following God, God leads them to one of the most difficult challenges that we read about in the Old Testament. Really, up to this point, Israel has gone through a lot. The nation of Israel just received a new leader. They had Moses as their leader, uh, and Moses has died. So now they're under a new leadership, Joshua. And if we go all the way back 700 years we see that God gave a promise to a man named Abram, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a land that is going to be abundant, and it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be overwhelming, and they begin to call this the promised land. Now fast forward 700 years. 700 years after the promises, the, the nation of Israel still has not occupied the promise that God gave them. They still haven't gone into the land. 
400 of those 700 years, in fact, have been in slavery. And then once Moses led the Israelites out of slavery, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. So imagine, if you're under 40 years old, your entire life would have been wandering around in the desert. You know, think Moab, think Phoenix, without buildings, without air conditioning. They're, they're just wandering around. They have nowhere to go. And, and, and they're frustrated, they're tired, but they know they're, they're out there wandering because at some point, God said he's going to fulfill a promise and he's going to give us the land of our own. He's going to come through for us. So this is the setting here where, where, where the Israelites are like, okay, we're going to do it now. Joshua, under his leadership, Moses has died. One day Joshua gets up and God says, it's time. It's time for you to take the nation into the, into the promised land. Go to the Jordan River. We're going to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. So he tells them, guys, get up. This is between one million and two million Israelites, two million Jews get up and start following Joshua, and they're like, you're kidding me. It's finally time. We're going to go to the promised land. He said, yeah, let's get up. Let's go. And we see that the story catches up here in Joshua chapter 3 where, where they get to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River, look at this picture, is at flood stage. So they're standing on the side of the river, and they look over the river, and they can see the promises of God. They see, this is where God has told us we're going to go. I can see what my future is going to look like. I can see what my life is going to look like. But, but he stops them there. There's the Jordan River, and the Bible says that the Jordan River is at flood stage. You might think, well, that's not a big deal. So what? We're moving between 1 million and 2 million Israelites. And you've got to understand that the Jordan River can be very unimpressive at times. In the dry season, the Jordan River can be as small as only 40 feet wide and 5 foot deep. I mean, you could almost jump over that if you're a good long jumper. I'd have no chance. But uh, you, you could almost jump over it, a tiny little river. But then get this, in flood stage, it is recorded that the Jordan River can be as much as a mile wide and 150 foot deep. A mile wide and 150 foot deep. So think about this. They get there and it... This river that goes as small as 40 foot, we can just walk right through it, all the way up to a mile wide, 150 foot deep, and this is when God decides to bring them to the promised land. So they're standing there on the side of this river looking at this going, wait a minute, and I don't know about you, but I want to stop in the story and be like, God, um, why didn't you bring us here when it was like dry season and we could have just walked through and it would have been no difficulty? I mean, we got children here. We got people here who can't swim. Why would you bring us here in a time like this? I mean, this could have been easy. And you start to think like, God, these are your people, right? Can't you give them a break? I mean, couldn't couldn't you make it a little easier on them? And they look at this river that's standing in front of them and it's daunting. I think there's some of us in this room that you've asked the question recently. You're like, God, why would you bring me this close to your promises? Why would you bring me to this stage in my life only to have this circumstance rise up to where now, God, this is daunting. I don't even know. This circumstance that just rose up could stop me. I I might not be able to make it past this, God. Why would you do that? I mean, you got to look at some of the stories in the Bible and, and ask those type of questions. God, why are you bringing your people to a place of desperation like this? A place where it, it was you that told them about the promised land. 
I mean, I, I'm not doing this on my own. You told me to do it. I'm going after it. And now I'm, uh, like, I'm stuck here. There's some of you, you, you're in a stage of life right now where things should be a, a lot easier. You've been planning towards this stage. You've been going for it. You've, you've, you've been saving for it. You've, you're trying to get there. And it's like all of a sudden, what, what should have been easy, it should have been I just hop right across this last hurdle, and then we're done. We're finally, we've arrived. We've gotten where we're trying to go. And now you're like, your circumstance went from something, not, not a big deal, to huge. It's like everything was fine. You had one argument, not a big deal. And then that argument turned into, now you just disagree about things. And then finally it's gotten to the point and it's progressed now to where she served you papers. And you're looking at your divorce papers and going, I don't know how it went from something that was so small to now it's impossible. It's a mile wide and 150 foot deep. What am I going to do about this? I believe there's people in this room that you're right there in that place going, things should be easier than this. Why would, I, why would we go through all that we went through just to get to something where now I can see the promise, but that promise might as well be as far away as the moon. I can't get to it on my own. It's daunting. You know, like, God, can't you give your people a break? Can't, can't this be a little bit easier? But see, I think this is such a beautiful story because it paints this picture of like, like what do you do when you're on the edge of something in your life. You're on the, the shore of your breakthrough and it seems like that, that breakthrough gets farther and farther and farther away. What do I do now? Isn't that the million dollar question, right? Well, let's look how God leads his people because the way God led his people here in Joshua chapter 3 is the exact same way that he leads you and I today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way he shows us how he gives his people breakthrough and moves them through a difficult time is exactly what he does for you and I today. So in Joshua 3, first of all, a little background. The, the Israelites have with them what is called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a box. And it's, it shows up in Scripture because God gives it to his people as a gift. And he tells them, I want you to put some stuff in it so that you remember my promises. I want you to put the Ten Commandments in there. They put Aaron's rod that budded in there. And they put a jar of manna that, that they received in the wilderness all in this Ark of the Covenant. Now, the reason why there was the Ark of the Covenant is God gave this to his people as a symbol for them to see that God's presence is with them. So God actually manifested his presence on the Ark of the Covenant. So where the Ark of the Covenant was, people knew God is there. And this was serious. This wasn't just an idea. It was so serious to the point where people couldn't touch the Ark because God is so holy and so powerful and his presence was there. Uh, it would destroy him. In fact, 1 Chronicles chapter 13 tells the story of a man named Yusa who, who reached out and touched the ark as, as people were stumbling and began to fall over because he didn't want it to fall over. And as he touched it, the Bible says that he was struck dead there. So this is an important thing. It's serious. Not just an idea that this is God's presence. This is the manifestation of God's presence with his people to, to show them that he's fulfilling the promise that I will never leave the nation of Israel. I will be with you guys. I will protect you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. And the ark is in this story for a reason. So the ark is here 
with the Israelites. And the setting is that these, these two million Israelites, after, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, knowing that there's a promised land out there and that someday they might be able to inhabit it, they finally get to the point where God says, all right, it's time, let's go. And, and they, they push forward and they get to where they're supposed to go and they finally see the promised land and it's on the other side of an impossible circumstance. And they look out there and they, they, they see all that it could be. They see all that it can mean for them, but they're stuck on this side. And then get what Jesus, or get what God says to them in this moment. He says, first thing I want you to do is I want you to stop and camp out for three days. Well, why would you want to camp out for three days? We've been in the wilderness for, for 40 years. God, we've been walking. We've been camping. You want us to stop here and look at this difficult circumstance for three days. Three days. Isn't that significant? It, doesn't that cue you up onto something here? I mean, we look at the resurrection. We look at the fact that it happened after three days. See, there's a key to understanding Scripture, and the key to understanding Scripture is always look for Jesus because the whole Bible is about Jesus. So get this. He's saying, I want you to sit down and rest for three days, and after three days, you're going to cross over. This is a beautiful picture of what God does for his people. So sit down and rest, and after three days, cross over. First thing I want to tell you, if you are here today and you're like, I'm overwhelmed by what's going on in life, is first thing you need to do is sit down and rest. You need to sit down and rest and know that there is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is going to finish what he started in you. And God said to his people and command them in Joshua 3.3, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you should set out from the place and follow it. So, saying, as soon as I move, I want you to move with me. So keep your eyes on me, watch me, and then look at the picture here. He's saying, I'm going to move, and when I move, you follow me, but I want you to stay back 2,000 cubits. Think how weird that is. So the, the nation of Israel is sitting there watching. The Levitical priests get up and they start marching towards the river. They're going towards the promised land. And all the people are here and, and they're watching and they're walk, kind of walking behind going, is, is that about 2,000 cubits? That's uh, half a mile back. And like, you don't want to get too close. We know he's serious. But, and, and like, I think this is really weird. This is strange. God, no other nation rolls like this. This is scary. Like, why are you all the way out there and we're back here? Do you see the distinction that God is setting up here? He's saying, I'm going to be out in front and I want you to stay back here and watch what I do. You see that distinction? Do you believe that when you're overwhelmed, there is a God who goes before you? Who goes before you into that difficult place? So the Bible says that these these Levitical priests, they're, they're, they're carrying the ark. They're, they're stepping forward in the nation of Israel. Two, two million people are staying 0.56 of a mile behind. They're, they're, let's not get too close, but let's watch. Let's see what happens here. And the Bible says that God commanded Joshua that what was going to happen, he says, tell your people, I'm going to stand my ark in the middle of the river, and I'm going to stop the river. And when I stop the river, you're going to be able to go right through on dry ground. So the people are looking for this, like, is God really going to do this? Can you believe it? It's, it's actually happening. We've been talking about this. Our ancestors have been talking about this. And we're moving forward. And the promised land is right there. This is actually going to happen. And then we see that the, the Levitical priests step into the water. 
Now, this miracle that happens in the Jordan River is so frustrating because it's so uncomfortable. Because we read in other areas where God parts waters, and we see where God parted the Red Sea, and it was just one of those miracles like, you know, Moses held a staff up and God's like, and the Red Sea parted, and people just walked through. It's like an instant miracle. Everyone's like, that's so cool, and they walked right through on dry ground. But what's frustrating about this Jordan River miracles that happens a completely different way. Why does God do things different ways? Well, he doesn't want us to just follow methods. He wants us to have a relationship with him. So we got to listen to what he's doing. He said, I'm doing things a different way. So you got to know the people are there. They've heard the stories of the Red Sea party, and we see that the Levitical priests step into the water. And then the Bible says in verse 16, it says, the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city. So, so in Adam, we know from looking at this that Adam is 20 miles upstream. God begins to stop the water, and it's beginning to stand up in a heap because the Levitical priests have stepped out into the water. Now think about this. With a flow of 10 miles an hour, it is going to take two grueling hours before anything happens. Think of how uncomfortable this first 10 minutes must have been as the Levitical priests step into the water and they're going, oh, I'm getting wet, God. Um, Joshua better be right because they said I was supposed to get into the water and I'm, I'm here now and nothing has changed. You got to think if you're Joshua for just a moment, how you're like, God, you, you promised me on this. They're going to kill me if you don't come through on this promise. You said you'd do it. Now, the, what they don't know is 20 miles upstream, God had already put their miracle into place. He had already stopped the waters. Their circumstances had changed, but now they're in this tough place where they're doing exactly what God said to do, and they're standing there, and, and nothing has changed. Have you ever been there? We're like, God, I, 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 I hear your promises. I, I see what you want me to do. You tell me I should trust you in this area of my life or you should trust me in that area of my life. So, so I did it. I'm going for it. I'm stepping out. And it's like, God, I'm here now. Are you there, God? Hello? And you're standing there and you're getting wetter and wetter by the moment. You know there had to have been a temptation. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but if I was Joshua, I'd come up, I'd see that flow water, and I'd be like, guys, I think we're going to try this another time. You know, let, let's come back when things could be easier, when we can just press through. But, but God says, I want you to go. It's going to be scary, but it's going to be amazing. You're going to see what I'm going to do. And they stand in the river, and nothing changed. Ten minutes goes by. 15 minutes go by, and you know the people, they've got to, they've got to be watching this unfold and be like, um, I, I, I thought you said God was going to come through. What are, we, are we just going to live the rest of our lives in the wilderness? Are we just stuck here? I mean, this is when you're tempted to just go, well, we must, I must have been wrong. I, I must maybe trust in God on that. That was for someone else. Or maybe I didn't hear him right. I'm, I'm going to just go back and do my own thing. And we're so tempted in those times to just turn around and walk away. But the Bible says that God backed the waters up. And as the Levitical priests were standing there, at some point, people looked and they're like, oh, wait a minute. 
The water level just went from here to here. I, guys, did you see that? It, it was here, and now, now it's here. Guys, you see this, right? God is beginning to, he's beginning to move here, guys. I think something might actually happen. And, and, and if you've trusted God long enough and you see the water start to recede in your life, you start to go, wait a minute, guys. I'm starting to get more clarity here. I'm getting more comfort here. You know, God really is good. I think God really is faithful. He's going to come through on this. And, and I was terrified, and, and I'm trying to do everything I know how to do. And it's like, and, and truly your circumstance hasn't really changed, but, but what's happening here is you're changing. God is beginning to change you in the middle of standing in the river going, wait, wait a minute, I, God might be moving here, and I do think I trust him. I do think I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it here. God loves me, and we see that the water receded and receded and receded until finally those Levitical priests are standing there with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord in the middle of the river, and it's dry ground. So Joshua's like, guys, come on, let's go. Let's go, and two million people cross. Think of how long this must have taken. As two million people are walking by this Ark of the Covenant and they're like, guys, kids, do you see this? This is the Ark we've been talking about. God's presence is here. Isn't that cool, guys? Do you see this? Like, we're standing in the middle of the Jordan River and we're not even wet. Guys, do you see what's happening here? And every one of God's people walked past the Ark of the Covenant right in the middle of the Jordan River. Notice two things about this. Notice how far God goes before you into your circumstances. And then notice that when you are in the middle of the ugliest part of your circumstance, the deepest part of the valley, God is right there in the midst of it with you. See, I, I think we get so confused by this because so many of us think that this is a story about the promised land. But this is not a story about the promised land. This is a story about the promiser. See, this is not about attaining more land and, and occupying a place. This isn't about properties. This isn't about houses. This isn't about cattle. This isn't about any of that. This is about a promise. Because what is the Jordan River to God? You know, the, God doesn't care about the Jordan River. He could have parted the Jordan River. He could have just put a rock bridge over the Jordan River. And people are like, God, that's so cool. What an awesome, amazing miracle. He didn't care about the Jordan River. What he cared about was his people. He cared so deeply to get his people's attention on him, his ador their adoration, their, their affection, their attention, their focus on him. That's what the story's about. It's not about the stuff. God's saying, I'm going to do a miracle in your life, but this miracle's not going to be a quick one. This miracle's going to take some time because what I'm trying to get you to understand is it's not about the stuff. It's not about the promise. It's about me. Do you see that I'm here? I'm here in this most difficult time waiting for you. I'm making a way. You're going to come out on the other side. You're going to be okay, and I'm going to be right behind you. Guys, I think there's so many of us in this room that we look at the circumstances in our life and we're like, God, why won't you just give me a breakthrough? And guys, I can tell you, I, I wish I could say God just saves us from stuff. You know, and sometimes he does. There's a lot of things God has saved you from you probably don't even know about. God does save us from stuff. But most of the time, we look in the Bible, we see that God doesn't save us from stuff. He saves us through stuff. And the whole point of this, why? is because why does God do it that way? Is because we think it's about stuff. We think, well, 
Ultimately, the goal, the miracle is that I'm going to get the stuff. I'm going to acquire the house. I'm going to acquire the job. I'm going to get that pad in my checking account, my savings account. I'm going to marry the girl in my dreams. My kids are going to be healthy. I'm going to get the right diagnosis. We think it's the stuff. And God's going, no, 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 no. The stuff is just something I'm trying to get you to so you'll recognize it's always been about me. So this story of the miracle of the Israelites going through the Jordan River is not about them just occupying the promised land. It's about everyone in the nation of Israel going, wait a minute, God went before me and he stayed in the ugliest thing I've ever gone through in my life, right in the midst of the problem with me. I wonder, what, what does it look like in your own life if you start to recognize that God is working in your circumstance. Because we face circumstances sometime and we're like, God, did you not see that this was going to happen? And God's like, uh, I've already been there. I'm making a way for you. I, I know it looks difficult, and, but, but I'm here and I'm waiting for you to recognize it's not about the circumstance. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the breakthrough on the other side. It's about me. He wants to get your attention and your focus on him. See, think about this for a moment. What does life look like with that perspective. I'm going, it's all about God and God's right in the middle of this with me because he's saying, guys, I will never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Have you ever seen that promise in the Bible before? We've, we've got it in Hebrews here. Can you throw this up on the side screens? Hebrews says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he sa has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why, why is the same Keep your life free from the love of money. Because we think it's about stuff. We think it's about me accomplishing something, getting more. If I can get to the promised land, I'm not going to have worries anymore. We think it's about the stuff. And listen, stuff is okay. God wants you to have houses and money and cars and stuff. like. He wants you to have that stuff. But he's saying, don't make your life focus on that. He says, instead, recognize you don't have to worry about that. Be content. Why? Because I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Do you know that the writer of Hebrews, when he wrote that, he was quoting another scripture? In fact, he was quoting a promise from God in Joshua chapter 5. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He's talking to Joshua now. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So God gave this promise to Joshua just days before he went through one of the most difficult circumstances he would ever face. But did you notice here that Hebrews and Joshua say it a little bit differently. Hebrews is quoting Joshua, but, but, but in Joshua it says, I will not leave you or forsake you. And in Hebrews, the writer inspired by the Holy Spirit after Jesus' death and resurrection wrote the words, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hear me on this, guys. God has raised the ante. He's upped it, and he's said, in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ, you need to recognize, I'm never going to leave you. You're going to go through difficult times, and I wish I could tell you you weren't going to go through difficult times, but you're going to go through difficult times, and you need to face those difficult times knowing you don't have to be worried because I'm right there with you. See, this whole story is a picture of us recognizing our need for Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant is all about the fact that we see there was manna in the Ark, and Jesus is the bread of life. 
There was a staff in the ark, the, the rod of Aaron, and we see that he's the good shepherd. There was, there was the Ten Commandments, and we see that Jesus came to fulfill the law and die on the cross for our sins. So all of this happens to show us the picture of Jesus, and so we go, you know what? Jesus is never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And I go through difficult times and I should be so much farther along and my kids are freaking out right now and the doctor says I don't have very long left and with all this going on, Jesus is going, listen, it's, it's not about the stuff, it's about your focus with me and if you just focus on me, you're going to recognize I'm going to bring you through this difficult time. Would you stand with me before we go today? No one looking around with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want, I want us to be honest because I think there is a place set right now, a stage set for breakthrough. People in this room, you've been hopeless. You've been thinking, you know what, my circumstances have changed and that's just the way it's going to be and I guess I just have to deal with it. And you're here today and you've got a smile on your face It's Sunday morning and you're like, I got it together, but the truth is your circumstances are so heavy right now that you're like, God, I'm overwhelmed. No one looking around, if that's you right now, just so I can pray for you. Would you hold your hand up? Say, I'm overwhelmed. Wow. Wow. In fact, you know what? There's an anointing in this room for breakthrough. Those of you that just raised your hands, I want to invite you. Stop what you're doing right now. Come right down in front, and we are going to pray as a church family over everyone who just raised your hand so that I'm overwhelmed. I'm looking at a river. It was tiny. It was 40 feet wide. It was no big deal. And circumstances changed. And now it's as far away as I can imagine. It's a mile wide, 150 foot deep. Could be health. Could be your kids. Could be like, I worked so hard to get to this place. And now I feel like I'm stuck. Bow your heads and close your eyes. The answer in this story is for us to stop asking that God would just save us from stuff and start asking that God would save us through stuff. That God wants to be there with you. He wants to show himself as your deliverer, as your salvation, as your healer, as your leader. He's gone before you. He's, he's bled for you. He's making a way for you. This happens so that we can love him more, we can know him more, and we can recognize his love for us so much more. To every person in this room that's not standing there in front, stretch your arms out towards these people in front, and let's pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for my brothers and sisters who are standing down here with me that are overwhelmed right now. God, we pray for your breakthrough. I pray for every one of us that we would see you in the midst of our situation, that we'd stop looking around and feeling like we're alone in the bottom of a river, but God, we would see that you were standing right here with us. As scary as our circumstances are, God, we know you are bigger. We know that you'll make a way. We know that you love us. So God, help us. Free us, God. I pray that we would rely on you more. I pray that we would trust you more. I pray that, God, you give us hope again. I feel right right now, if you're feeling hopeless, just in, in your own words, whisper and repent to Jesus right now. Forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for hopelessness. I put my hope in you, God. We trust you.
It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray for breakthroughs. We thank you, God, that you don't take us through anything that you won't free us from and get us out of. So, Lord, I pray in this room that every one of us, as we face the difficulties of life, as we face the big circumstances of life, we would never lose sight of you. That we would always remember you've gone out before us and you're making a way. Thank you so much for your love, Jesus. We praise you, and it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give our God a shout of praise. He's good. He's good.